Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is The Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at noon to promote and defend public education. And we hope that tomorrow at 1.30 at the Seaford uh, Community Hall, you'll come along to hear us talking about the privatisation of public education for those people, that group, who are against privatisation by corporates of our public facilities. We'll be there and we hope to meet you there, one thirty tomorrow at the Community Hall in Seaford, Station Street, Seaford. Now, if you want to find out more about the dogs, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info and there is a press release 674, which will go up this weekend, uh, which relates to the Birmingham Statement. Birmingham on Q&A last week, last Monday, admitted the needs policy is not really a needs policy. And he was started off along this line by Amanda Vanstone. Now, some of you may not listen to Q&A. You might have got thoroughly put off by uh, Alan Jones and other people uh, who sometimes appear there, as well as uh, Tony Jones. But um, just to fill you in on what happened, here is a young man talking on the Fairfax website because the Fairfax media certainly blew this up into a very interesting issue. So here you are. School funding is back in the headlines again, with federal and state education ministers beginning the process to negotiate a new set of funding agreements for 2018 onwards. Now, Federal Education Minister Simon Birmingham was on Q&A this week, and he said something that made many people sit bolt upright in their chairs. He said that he was open to the idea of some schools particularly wealthy private schools, receiving less funding under the new arrangements. Now, there's a big backstory to why this is such a big deal. Back in 2004, when he was opposition leader, Mark Latham had his famous hit list, a list of private schools he said should have their funding frozen or cut. Now, this was very controversial at the time, and the political wisdom many years later is that it was a big mistake. That's why, when she was in office, Julia Gillard promised that under the Gonski reforms, no school would be worse off in real terms. Now, critics say that this led too much money to continue to flow to wealthy schools rather than needy public schools that could really do 
with more money. That's why Senator Birmingham's comments are so surprising. The coalition's traditional foes in the public school sector and even the Greens are really welcoming his approach, whereas the private school sector, traditionally a friend of the coalition, is warning that it shouldn't be seen as an easy target for cuts and it will campaign against any measures to significantly pull back the federal money it receives. The thing to remember is that we're still many, many months away from a final deal, so the battle here is only just beginning. Well, Birmingham slipped it out, didn't he? And we have written this press release. Who said that the state aid issue was buried by any needs policy? Education Minister Simon Birmingham was forced by Tony Jones to admit on Q&A on the 26th of September 2016 that some private schools were, quote, overfunded. Amanda Van Stone started it by noting that funding disparities had been caused by the Gillard dictum to Gonski that no school should lose any money. She could have said that the same applied to Beasley with the Carmel Committee and to Howard's botched SES program as well. But nobody seems to want to go back into the history of state aid too far. Well, it was a pity. The ALP could not resist the temptation to do what the Coalition did to Latham in 2004. Because at the moment, as you can see from the Fairfax media, people think that somehow this problem goes back to 2004. It goes back a lot further, according to the dogs. So what did the ALP do? They invited him to submit a hit list of schools so that they could whip it up as an issue from their side and the ALP could appear to be uh, supporting private schools, which, of course, a lot of them do. And surprise and surprise, the mainstream media, particularly the Fairfax media, invented a furore and gave oxygen to the insecurities of the private sector. We were told in the age that Independent Schools Council of Australia Executive Director Colette Coleman. At least we don't have Michelle telling us things anymore. We're going, we're going federal here. She said that any future funding cuts to private schools could provoke, listen to this, anxiety and uncertainty among parents and lead to fee increases. And the National Catholic Education Commission Executive, Director Ross Fox, so at least we didn't have to put up with Elder, said the government should focus on lifting standards for all students rather than moving funding between schools. Swinging funding cuts on schools or systems is far from fair and does nothing for funding certainty, he said. But no mention, of course is made of the anxiety and the uncertainty of public school parents who no longer have the assurance of a local public school for their children. We are told by the SOS people here in Melbourne that there are 220 new schools that are needed in the next 10 years for Victoria. And what a lot of jobs in the uh, building industry that would give, uh, give us. And the SOS people are on to that. But no mention is made of any of this. All Birmingham was doing was admitting the worse than obvious. Educational inequalities and the preferential treatment of private schools has made a nonsense 
for 50 years of any attempt to introduce any semblance of a needs policy. Back in 1973, listeners, the Protestant vote had to be bought out. And didn't they rush to be bought out, those big Protestant schools? Those of you who have been around as long as I have will remember um, what a really quite disgusting exhibition they made of themselves back in 1973. But before even a few crumbs can trickle down to the disadvantaged, the wealthy must be assured that they can have their cake, eat it and then get some more. The Coalition Party almost lost the election on the public school vote. Perhaps Mr Birmingham is not sitting too easily in his ministerial portfolio. And Tanya Plibersek should think about this too. Because they almost lost. They're only in on one one extra vote or one extra um, representative in the parliament. So why? The mythical Catholic vote has dissipated And the savvy middle-class parents, many of them in danger of falling off the social ladder into unemployment, have worked out that there's much more bang for the educational buck in public schools for their children. And Robert will be telling you a little bit more about uh, this uh, later in this program. The statistics are not there. Uh, the, the, uh, The money that people are spending on private schools is money that actually is being wasted educationally. So the middle classes, which are being hollowed out in this country as in America, are looking around and finding inner city public schools of a bygone era have been closed and they've been sold to developers, they've been abandoned and the public schools in developing areas are well behind schedule. So uh, we found out about this last week, didn't we, listeners, when... uh, John came in and told us about his website, Learning from the Past, and what an interesting uh, program that was, and we hope to get him back. So, I'll continue with this uh, Birmingham press release. The Labor Party, the dog's note, is still licking its scars from the DLP split of half a century ago. Instead of running scared, they should be looking at where the real voting power now lies. Labor Education Spokeswoman Tanya Plibersek is only prepared to say that Senator Birmingham needed to explain whether he had a secret hit list of schools whose funding would be cut. And uh, she got all upset, saying, which kids will be robbed by this minister who seems incapable of being upfront about his secret plans for school funding? Well, uh, I don't think anybody will cry too much about the children in MLC or the children in um, Riverview or uh, Skeks or what have you. So it's not good enough, Tatnia. The public school forces have regrouped in recent years and public schools are no longer interested in the crumbs from private school tables. Senator Birmingham's comments have been welcomed by public school advocates and there's many of them now and they're becoming more and more vocal, and the Greens. The Gonski Review panellist, Ken Boston, a former head of the New South Wales Education Department, said, a fair deal of money is being spent in schools that don't need it on things that don't matter. There's no question that money needs to be distributed to schools of low priority to schools of high priority. 
Dr Boston saying this, that he was especially pleased that Senator Birmingham had said that he was open to creating an independent body to oversee needs-based school funding. This was a key recommendation of the Gonski Review and Dr Boston said it was a great shame it had been ignored by the Gillard government. Well, let's hope that if he does set it up, that it's got enough good state school representatives on it and it's not uh, taken over by the public sector, which is what usually happens with these bodies. Chris Bonner, who's a Centre for Policy Development Fellow and Public School Advocate, said that he sat bolt upright when he heard Senator Birmingham's comments. I really welcome what he said, Mr Bonner said, but this is going to be a very bruising debate. But public school advocates should not be fearful of bruising debates. Dogs have been in them for years. Private school advocates have always been bully boys and girls, but bullies are cowards in our experience, and these schools are now almost completely dependent on the public purse, and that's our money. Public school advocates must take the next step. Instead of sticking with needs policies, promises that never materialise, they should go for the juggler. Some private schools are funded at the same and above the same level of public schools and they're doing a worse job of actually educating children. So they should be taken over and become public schools. Taxpayers pay for them. Taxpayers should have the right to use them for their children. And if private religious schools want to stay private and or independent, then they should be funded with private, not public funds. They're all upset at the moment, dear listeners, because Mr Andrews is saying that they shouldn't be exempt from discrimination against children and parents and others on the basis of sex and other things. If they want to be independent, then they shouldn't take public money. Private's private and public's public. Those of us who have a simple view of the English language know that these two concepts are separate. There are different species They should not be, and they actually cannot be mixed. So there you are. That's our press release, um, 674. And uh, that's enough for me for now. I'll pass you over to Robert. But before we hear Robert, we'll hear what he selected, Townhauser. A little bit of music. Oh, Jean, isn't that nice of you? Yes, well, look, I thought we'd have a bit of Wagner today, just just for a bit of fun. It's a bit of an in-house joke here. Uh, Jean is not a huge fan of Wagner, um, but I know some of our listeners might be. And so in the interests of being generous to those people who like a bit of Wagner, here, here he is in his glorious vocal best.
Welcome back to the Dogs Programme here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And, of course, Gene's press releases every week. You can get hold of those at our website, which is at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Now, before the glorious Wagner there... um, Lovely, 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 wasn't it, listeners? Um, yes, yes, we're laughing here in the studio. Wagner's a bit of an in-joke. Sorry about that. Um, yes, as Jean was mentioning, um, there's some... Inter- oh, that's a different matter. <laughs> oh, maybe we'll have to set up a new radio show and argue about romantic composers. Because I think Marla can, I don't know, he should have had more cold baths and written less music, if you ask me. Anyway, um, and enough of such silliness. Um, there's been some, a very interesting article written um, as part of the research we do for the show every week. We trawl the interwebs and, indeed, various magazines and publications. And there's a very interesting publication, if you're into that sort of thing. It's called the Australian Economic Review. It reviews economic theories and ideas. And there's been an interesting article written in it about education policy, educational funding policy, from an economic perspective. Now, it's not a social perspective, it's not a political perspective, it's not a religious perspective. It's not even a perspective about the kids, because it's an economic perspective. So the numbers are hard. The numbers are hard and tough and wiry, just the sort that won't say die. And and those numbers are actually very interesting, because they come to a very stark conclusion. And the conclusion they come to, I think I'd, I'd like to outline in the words of Trevor Cobalt from the Save Our Schools website. But after I've done that, um, I've had a good look at the numbers and they're absolutely fascinating. Because in this new study, which is published in the latest issue of the Australian Economic Review, the article found that students in public primary schools, this is public primary schools, this is those schools that have been beaten up now for generations and defunded and everyone's rude about and you hear parents say, oh, I couldn't possibly send my child to that local public primary school because we know what the kids are like. You know, those ones, you know, the ones that everyone has a go at, they actually achieve better results than Catholic schools and similar results to independent schools. Now, these findings confirm those of actually other recent studies in Australia and overseas. The student performance in public schools is as good as or better than those in private schools. Now, to quote the study itself, and I think it's important that we come back to this because these... These these conclusions are sort of counterintuitive to many of those people out there who like to rubbish the state school system, rubbish the public school system. People who think they can buy they can buy this sort of thing. Well, yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, the study, and I quote from it, says government school students perform no worse than independent school students, and somewhat better than Catholic school counterparts in spelling, grammar, and numeracy. Not writing. Um, writing all all the schools seem to be about the same, but. They are better than Catholic school counterparts in spelling, grammar and numeracy. Um, And we're going to pull that apart in a minute. But the study analysed the 2010 NAPLAN test scores of Year 5 students. This is in primary school. And included the longitudinal study of Australian children as well. So combining more than one data set, that's always a good idea if you're going to deal with hard and tough and wiry numbers, Um, which is the most extensive nationally representative survey of Australian children throughout their development. Now, this survey contains a wealth of data on the characteristics of children, the income and education of their parents, and the aspects of the neighbourhoods in which they live. The study, conducted 
two separate statistical analyses of data. So they went and looked at the data in two separate different ways. Uh, the first compared the results of students in public, Catholic and independent schools, and controlled for the various background characteristics and the socioeconomic composition of the school. So they controlled for how rich people's parents were and other background characteristics which are known to be correlated with you know, positive or negative educational outcomes. And it was found there was no consistent statistically significant difference in reading, writing, spelling, grammar and numeracy between public and independent schools. None at all. It found that Catholic school students were approximately three months behind public school students in spelling, grammar and numeracy, while there were no differences in, in, in the other measurements. Now... The second analysis examined separate effects of school sector attendance for male and female students. A good old gender analysis for those people who are, are statistical, statistical bent. You know, if you look at the boys and you look at the girls and compare those two, then you can start to see things come through as well. Now, those from high and low socioeconomic status households, students from primary caregivers, that is Australian-born, or not Australian-born, and children from metropolitan and non-metropolitan areas. It's the first study in Australia to conduct an analysis at this level of detail. So the country kids, the city kids, the kids with parents who weren't born in Australia, and the kids who were, um, and also that sort of you know how, how rich the parents are. Or the socioeconomic status, which isn't just how much wealth you have. It's a more complex thing. But you know what, dear listeners? Um, let's not bother with that. Now, the result for these three separate groups of students indicate that there were no advantages, no advantages for attending independent schools and an advantage for attending a public school over a Catholic school. There's no statistically significant difference between the results of public and independent schools in most categories of students for all NAPLAN tests, while Catholic school students in categories between two and nearly five months behind their counterparts in public schools in spelling grammar and numeracy. So the same results with two completely separate types of analysis. Now this lends weight to these hard and tough and wiry numbers done by a bunch of economists. Now the study reports 40 results for eight categories of independent and Catholic school students compared to those in public schools. And in the five NAPLAN tests, and in the five NAPLAN tests, which is a total of 80. So there's lots and lots of numbers across a wide variety of things that are being tested, and they're being tested in two separate ways. And there's no difference between independent and public schools in 35 of the 40 results. Now, one exception is that children whose primary caregiver is not Australian-born, who attends an independent school, did better than their counterparts in both public schools and Catholic schools in writing and spelling. However, within these results, that refers to actually 87 students, 87 students who are in that category. That is, not many people from non-English-speaking backgrounds whose parents weren't born in Australia, not many of those parents send their kids to independent schools, so the numbers are quite low. So... Um, They'd be from the wealthy, I would think. But they'd be the tiger mums too. I think. I think that might be the case. I mean, yeah. I think. I think we're happy to generalise on, on, on at, at that sort of level. People. People. People from a non-English speaking background who value education so highly that they think that not just you know um, supporting their child in the home, but actually paying money to an independent school as opposed to a Catholic school and tutors would be benefit. But bear in mind, those eighty-seven students is out of a complete category data set of three thousand. Mm. 
And therefore, that's a very small proportion, the study says that this result, the study says, and I say, and Trevor also says, that this result uh, should be treated with some caution. Other exceptions are that students in independent schools in metropolitan areas, that is in the city, did better in reading and spelling than those in public schools, and students in independent schools in non-metropolitan areas did better in writing. Now, there's actually no difference between Catholic schools and public schools in 21 results, and public schools did better in 19 results. Catholic schools did not achieve better results than public schools in any test for any category for any student. I'm just going to say that again. Catholic schools did not achieve better results than public schools in any test for any category for any student. Um, The study says that the findings raise questions about the benefits of extensive government, recurrent and capital funding of private schools. I'm not sure that they can even claim that they're better morally anymore because they were... I remember years ago... the. The promoters of Catholic education used to drive you silly by talking about godless and immoral state schools. But um, I think they've lost Jean, the moral initiative through the... Um... Jean, Jean, that was the entire justification for the system in the first place. You, you know as well as I in the 19th century, Australia has and had and has always had a Catholic school system which is separate from the state school system, principally and particularly because... Um, the bishops, the Catholic bishops, did not want their children mixing with godless children. And so therefore, to separate them off on the basis of religion from the 19th century to today has been one of the primary tenets and one of the primary mission statements, indeed, of the Catholic education system. I, I really did I mean, want you to can, today... You uh, can uh, tell me I'm wrong if you like, but, yeah. I, but, but I think that's the case. Am, am I right, Jean? Because you're the expert on this. I don't know so much about that. All I know is that as a Christian, I would very much like to bring along um, a statement by Jesus about (laughs) what happened to the rich man and what happened to the beggar at his gate when they both died. Oh, dear. Something very uncomfortable about needles, isn't it? Is it, is it no, camels? No, no, no. no, no, I'll no, look. no oh dear! No, no, it's oh much dear! Worse we're than indulging that. in theology. Much worse than that. But if they want to want to get morally moralistic, um, I think that they have actually lost that argument long ago. We knew that they had lost it in 1979 when they spent 26 days in the High Court, uh, saying that they weren't really religious at all, and. Um, there's a great sadness in this when when people who are moral, in fact, turn out to be to be the opposite. I, th- I think there is just a sadness um, for for the society as a whole if we lose our our moral compass well, because we can, I think we have in this educational debate. Well, I mean, Jean, I've been talking. I mean, we can talk about moral and immoral. Um, but I'm talking about um, something that's in between. I'm talking about something, actually not in between, something that's completely different. I am reporting about what is what what is actually been found by a bunch of economists published in the Australian Economic Review. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you the names of these people because they're interesting people. It's amoral. 
What they're talking about um, is beyond good and evil in the sense of they're just saying that if you're going to spend money on the private school system and the private school system isn't doing as well as the public school system, (laughs) even considering the attacks, constant generational attacks that have been made upon the state and the public school system for all these decades and the public school system still coming out on top or at least equal with rich independent schools, then... um, it's not good economics. You're wasting your money, which I think ties in nicely with what Simon Birmingham is just kind of off the cuff and Amanda Van Steiner sort of saying. I mean, and you are quite correct to separate out the facts from the the moral statements. Well, um, there's well, there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. I mean, as 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 we all know, and I'm sitting here quoting statistics, but these are very interesting statistics, and they are presented without prejudice. Because if they were presented with prejudice in a peer-reviewed journal like the Australian Review, uh, they wouldn't get in there. I mean, I mean, there has to be some faith in the scientific method at some point, even though economics, I suppose, is the dismal science. Well, but, they're um, actually giving the lie to the, um, the ideology or the theology, if you like, of the new right um, economists and others in this government who keep telling us that private is better than public. It's not. Um, for certain services, public services, public has always been better than private. That's why we had them in the first place. That's why the Chartists and the others who came out here to Australia fought for a democracy and for public services because they believed that the education of children was a right, not a charity that was doled out by religious men. That's medieval. Well, indeed, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that um, the feudal system, um, which we which we hopefully escaped all those years ago through the Enlightenment, um, created a certain sense of structural inequity in the way people lived. And um, if you look at the numbers of structural inequity in Australia today, yeah, it kind of works out a bit about feudal. People talk about the 1%. People used to talk about the bishops and the great lords. Uh, the 1%, that's, that's where we functionally are at the moment, so... Perhaps we are returning to feudalism, but not if the dogs can help it, and not if we can get the largest number of people educated to the best hours they possibly can in this country, which is in fact the ultimate aim of us here at the Defenders of Government Schools Organisation here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, I'll return after uh, um, just these, these brief messages to describe, to describe actually the kids. I know it's a bit rude, but I want to describe the kids in numbers. I want to describe the kids in government schools, the kids in Catholic schools, and the kids in independent schools, because this research has actually sort of focused, because it is good research, truth to tell, um, this research has focused on what, who, who, who are these kids in Catholic schools? Who are these kids in, in government schools? Um, I'm not talking about John, Mary, Jay, Jidens, or Jacks, um, or in, indeed Justines. Um, I'm talking about who they are collectively and how can they be expressed and representative, re- represented as... But um, after these messages. Do you find mainstream feminism not relevant to your life? Too white, too liberal, doesn't deal with class. Ever been accused of being a feminist killjoy? Well, maybe your feminism is intersectional. Intersections! Coming soon to 3CR. A new program about local and global intersectional feminism in action. A deeper look into how contemporary intersectional lives are lived. Starting on the 2nd of October on Sunday at 5.30. Intersections!
on Sunday, the 9th of October. 3CR opens its doors to the community and invites you to come in and celebrate 40 years of radical radio. There'll be an awesome afternoon tea, roving musicians, special on-air broadcasts and the opportunity to step into the studio and get behind the mic. There'll also be face painting for the kids, stalls, rolling station tours and the chance to purchase for the first time 3CR 40th birthday t-shirt. Come in and enjoy your community radio station. 3CR Open Day, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Sunday the 9th of October, 12 to 4pm. See you all there. Yes, welcome back to the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government Schools. It's Gene, myself and Dale here in the studio. Um, we've been talking about a very interesting study which has come out, as, as I said, the Australian Economic Review. Um, it was written by Joan Rogers, Frank Neri, Ian Moore-Close, um, and they're from the Schools of Accounting, Economics and Finance at the University of Wollongong uh, in New South Wales, in, um, in Australia. Mm-hmm. And these are economists. And the title of this article that I've been quoting from is really rather sort of boring, but I'll give it to you anyway because I like it. Um, Heterogeneous Treatment Effects an Examination of Australian Non-Government Primary Schools. So, let's look at the kids, as I promised, in government schools, Catholic schools and independent schools. Well, the kids in independent schools have been in school for longer, significantly longer than kids in either Catholic schools or government schools. So they've been, a greater proportion of them have have spent more time in preschool. Um, There are significantly... Actually, it's not not necessarily significant. There are slightly a, a smaller number of females in government schools than in Catholic and independent schools, um, and there's a very significantly larger number of Indigenous students in government schools than either Catholic or independent schools, which I think is absolutely fascinating. In fact, yes, sig- very very significantly larger number of kids in Indigenous schools in 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 the state school sector than either the Catholic. Or independent. In fact, the number of Indigenous schools in independent and Catholic schools together is is, is almost well. It's not zero, but it's very very small. Um, the birth weights of kids in independent schools is um, not significantly higher than any others, but it's actually higher than the other two, which I think is rather interesting for one thing or another. Um, students in government schools come from um, unemployed. Uh, families significantly more than the other two sectors, which I think is that I, I actually think that's rather interesting, and it's also true that um, independent school students um, um, obviously have a significantly lo- a lower proportion of people who are unemployed. Mm. Students in government schools come from homes where there is significantly fewer. Um, I say fewer. They're significantly less likely to have a computer in their home. In fact, it's round about 85% of students in government schools have a computer in the home, which means 15% of students who turn up in government schools haven't got a computer in the home. And, um, you know, if I'd said that 20 years ago, people would sort of go, oh, who cares? But these days, can you imagine, dear listeners, um, not having a computer in your home? I know Jane can't. Um, I'm pretty sure, I'm, in fact, I know I can't either. Um, it's one of those things, certainly in urban Australia, it's just a given. I mean... But they don't have them, um, prob- have- probably for reasons of financial distress. Yeah. Um, also, but it's interesting, and, and I, I actually personally think this, this, this is fascinating. 
because um, you probably have done surveys of one form or another that ask you how many books you have in your home. And so in comparing government schools and Catholic schools and independent schools, um, there's almost no significant differences between parents in from all three sectors. There is a difference. Um, it is slight. Well, it's it's, it's significant uh, between independent and government school sectors, uh, but there's no significant difference between Catholic and government schools. And yet, it costs so much more, given fees and so on, to run a, pri- a private school. Hmm. Unsurprisingly, I just like to. I mean, Jean, Jean, I know you've got something to say, and it is important. But I, I just want to, because when people talk about the parents and the communities and this is and that is, for the first time um, in in my experience, we can actually see what's happening in these families, what's happening with these kids, from sector to sector to sector. I mean, this is political dynamite. I mean, no politician would would be comfortable even knowing about this, because this is you know in, in the current climate in Australia, you talk about this, it, people get. Very grumpy. Um, there's no significance between size of families, just by the way, between Catholic, independent and government schools. You know, people talk about the big, big families and small families and this is and that. No, they're equally distributed across all sectors, which I think is interesting. However, despite that, the percentage of single parent families um, is significantly greater in government schools than Catholic and independent schools. Um, there is, um, in terms of remote area stuff, a significant difference between independent and government schools. And there is a significant difference between all sectors when it comes to ICSIA values or socioeconomic status values. So there's a significant difference between students from government schools and Catholic schools, from independent schools and Catholic schools, and obviously from government schools. That means that the government schools or the public schools are doing a terrific job. It means they are the best schools, unambiguously, numbers all the time. State schools are great schools. I mean, it's not just a slogan. It's actually here in the numbers. And for those of our listeners who sometimes say that I, you know, by what I'm saying in terms of the way the state school system, the state school system is in any way inferior... These numbers just pop out despite the furious energies that go into putting down the state school system. It pops out in 2015 as the best system for educating children, all children. So it needs to be defended and it needs to be kept. But unfortunately, the coalition are looking overseas to see what's happening there. And you have the charter schools uh, being being privatising the public system in America. And the good news is that uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren has just um, voted against uh, in Massachusetts, allowing them to expand forevermore. But over in England, they have these academies. And and, uh, Christopher Pine was trying to impose this on our government school system. And I have here, from a teacher, uh, a secret teacher, saying that becoming an academy destroyed my school. And this is her story. There's a scene in the Star Wars where Darth Vader and his interior sweep through a corridor in the Death Star. As they pass, uniformed underlings step back against the wall and avert their gaze. Others busy themselves, prodding at terminals and frowning until the caravan of evil has gone. This is how I felt working in a multi-academy trust, a group of academies governed by a single set of directors, otherwise known as a MAT. My first contact with the trust was at a job interview. I knew that the school had been forcibly turned into an academy as a result of a poor inspection. 
but the head teacher was so warm and likeable that I accepted a senior leadership post without hesitation. I was surprised by the feel of the pace. It didn't seem like a school clawing its way back from chaos, and I've worked in several of those. It felt like all it needed was some training to modernise its day-to-day teaching practice. The staff were already familiar with the high expectations and hard work required. Many key changes had begun to embed, and these strategies only required minor adjustments and some focused monitoring to ensure that progress would be made. The first term passed enjoyably. The head teacher was a man with a well-set moral compass, a clear vision, expert knowledge of teaching and the soft skills needed to bond a team. Then it was mentioned that the school's membership of the trust would be legally formalised in the next term. At the time, no one was bothered. The trust's involvement so far had been limited to an inspection by their advisory team and a handful of head teacher meetings. But then it emerged that staff representatives would be required to attend a residential conference hosted by the MAT in a country hotel. As a member of the leadership team, my presence was mandatory. All senior staff needed to become aligned with the organisation's values and priorities. When I arrived, I was astonished to see the number of attendees and the quality of guest and function rooms. This was a level of expenditure I had not come across while working in local authority schools. The CEO's opening speech was not so much eye-opening as hair-raising. It started with a regurgitation of some half-digested management buzz phases, such as having a no-excuses culture. However, rather than meaning that all present would take full responsibility for pupil progress and well-being, this was presented as a means of introducing severe repercussions for not following orders. The room was silent. The CEO went on to outline the trust's vision for world domination as a solution provider for governments. Things then escalated into a half-shouted rant on the importance of people schools. Imagine Basil Fawlty berating Manuel about the importance of being sensitive to the needs of colleagues and stakeholders. The subtext seemed to be that although pupils, staff and parents were important, they were only important because they were the key to controlling as many schools as possible and ultimately moving the business to international status. By the end of the conference, I was deeply concerned about the nature of the beast I had been working for. What I saw back at school only confirmed my suspicions. Despite the school making good progress, the head resigned. Although the reasons were unstated, it seemed clear that he had fallen out of favour with the high-ups. The staff were devastated and we began to lose quality teachers who were replaced by less effective but cheaper counterparts. The head was replaced by someone who only had two terms experience as a deputy, but who had the right connections in the mat. We had three deputy heads in the next two years, and they were all woefully unequipped for the post. Their lack of expertise and tendency to pull rank rather than manage effectively meant that morale plummeted even further. More resignations followed. Endless leadership meetings were given over to trivial nonsense, such as how best to hang paper showing model modelled calculations on a string, washing line, at the expense of strategic actions. 
There grew a culture of backstabbing, ass-covering, spinning of outcomes and bullying. People were claiming undue credit or slating colleagues to senior MAT staff to save their jobs. Leadership treated middle managers with contempt and the language around difficult staff was completely unacceptable. I heard senior leader use the phrase, I'm going to get that bitch. Everyone worked in fear. The sudden disappearance of those at any level who fell out of favour could only result in this. The culture created even more of the deceit and aggression that had seeded it. The high staff turnover was very disruptive for the children, especially those whose needs required stability of attachment and predictable routine. Unsurprisingly, SAT's results nosedived. After two years, I finally moved on. I resigned without a post to go to and my career progression was stalled because of this, but that will right itself in time. In my present job, I am happy in a way that I don't think I could ever be in a mat. Working for a mat taught me a great deal. Being surrounded by such toxic working practice was strengthened my beliefs about what is appropriate in a caring vocational profession. There may be mats out there that understand how to embody the core values of learning organisations, but having spoken to many other teachers, I don't think my experience is uncommon. The extraction of schools from local authority control seems to have created a series of fiefdoms whose self-made princes are almost totally unaccountable. Well, that's what private education is, dear listeners. I'll read that again. The extraction of schools, and in this case, in our case, it would be the extraction of schools from public authority, seems to have created a series of fiefdoms whose self-made princes are almost totally unaccountable. One of the most troubling aspects of all of this has been that the schools in the mat she worked in are being improved at a slower speed than if they were in the hands of an effective public authority. This teacher saw a struggling school built up quickly and effectively by a good head and clever teachers and then had to watch as it was systematically destroyed. A timely inspection visit might have prevented this, but conversion to academy status guarantees freedom from Ofsted for 12 months, in which time anything can happen. Prior to being a member of a MAT, that is an academy a group, the school would have been regularly monitored by local authority advisors and the leader would have been held to account. As things stand, the teachers all felt that they were Obi-Wans biding their time in the mountains of, Ta- of Tatooine. So um, those of you who have... Uh, watch Star Wars will understand the feeling but those of you who've also been in some private schools and also who have been in state schools that have been privatised or even those of you who have been in public service departments that have um, brought in private advisers uh, who are bullies will actually know what this teacher has gone through and the state system should not be asked and our children should not be asked to be put into this situation in this country. 
The privatisation of our public schools, which are great schools, should not be countenanced in any way. Indeed. No, I think, Jane, you've made some, a whole series of very salient points. In fact, I'm sure our listeners will agree this has been a very meaty episode of, of, of the Dogs Program. Uh, we'll be returning just to, just to, just to summarise things from today after these messages. It's not too late to book and attend the National Peace and Anti-War Gathering at Alice Springs from the 30th of September to the 2nd of October and take part in the closed Pine Gap protests. At the conference, there'll be local and international speakers, including panel discussions. You can check out all the details, including bookings, at ipan.org.au. If you can't attend the gathering and protests at Alice Springs, you can show your support by signing the online Close Pine Gap petition at bit.do forward slash close pine gap and listen to 3CR for reports on the conference and pine gap protest activities. IPAN is a 3CR supporter. The Victorian Government LGBTI Community Grants Program has been established to foster the development of a sustainable and skilled LGBTI community sector in Victoria. The grants program consists of two funding streams, one for individual leaders and the other for organisations. The expression of interest process is now open. Please go to www.vic.gov.au forward slash equality for more information. A 3CR supporter. Yes, you have come back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, as Jane's quite rightly pointed out, Vanstone and Birmingham have now opened a can of worms. Um, it's just the beginning of the battle, as was mentioned by various people on the age. But the dog's perspective now is, I think, well within the Overton window. It's what, what we are saying is within the range of potential political possibilities. The private school lobby, immensely powerful, immensely well-funded, well-funded by my taxpayers' money, just by the way, are having less and less ground to stand on. I think from what we're saying, from the research that's come out of the, the Australian Economic Review, state schools are still standing proud, still standing strong, despite being beaten up. Economists are saying, you're getting good value for money out of a non-privatised state school system, why not put some more into it and, and, and see what happens? And then Birmingham saying, well, actually, there's a lot of money being wasted around here. All falls down within the general environment of continuous, incremental, generational greed. Here on the Dogs Program 10 years ago, we were saying the problem with the education system in today is that for every time you give a dollar to a kid, a kid who needs it in a state school, you have to give 50 cents to a kid in a private school that doesn't. Now, today, I'm not saying that anymore. I'm saying the problem with the education system in Australia is that every time you give a dollar to a kids who need it in a state school, you're giving a dollar twenty to a child in a private school that doesn't need it. Now, this is separate to issues of duplication. This is separate to issues of taxation, which has either been minimised or not paid because of various religious statuses. Um, they've just got too greedy. Birmingham's looking at the numbers and going. I've got a problem because Australia's falling behind the rest of the world. I'm the education minister. I've got to do something. I'm wasting all this money by giving money to kids in private schools. I better do something about it. I mean, it's just simple from his point of view. And giving money to private schools that aren't even doing the job. In and the then, same way as over in England, uh, these trusts that are going to make money and want to have international um, money-making exercises, uh, they're not doing the job. Indeed. They are, they are uh, uh, 
bullies. <laughs> so, um, yeah, as, as Trevor Cabell will say, that the fight is long, but the, but hope is, is stronger. Um, you've been listening to the Dogs Program. If you're interested in what we're talking about and have been talking about and will continue to talk about, you can get us on our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until next week... Uh, when we'll be back again, as we always are, fighting the good fight for the state schools of Australia. It's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I ain't dead, says Joe, but I ain't dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find Mm-hmm.